Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Caleb Smith. Eight years of career experience with a department in Blount County, Tennessee, where he operates as an engineer. One of the founding members for Black Flag Fire Training. Caleb believes in having passion for the fire service and what we say matters. When you listen to what his first experience as a firefighter going to his first structure fire was, it should spark a thought within your head of, are you sure you're ready for this profession? With that being said, I present... Mr. Caleb Smith. My name is Caleb Smith. Uh, I've been in the fire service for about eight years now. Currently assigned as an engineer on a tower or quint company at a small three-station department in East Tennessee. Uh, I got into fire service a little bit backwards. I was told when I was coming out of high school, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a fireman. I looked into the military and a few other options, uh, but I decided the fire service was the end goal. And I was told by a bunch of career guys in my area that the best way to do that was to go get an EMT license. Um, so I went to a community college, got my EMT, and then ended up spending a couple years on a ambulance in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is a very, very busy 911 system. I got a lot of experience. And uh, then I was given a blessing of an opportunity to be part-time, full-time between two departments. Uh, so we worked a 24-hour, 72 rotation. And the first shift, you'd be at Department A. Second shift, you'd be at Department B. And uh, you got the chance to be hired at either one when spots came open. So I did that for about two years before I got picked up full-time. And I've been there ever since. Awesome. I like the fact that you said uh, you work 24-72s. I mean, and I know, like, there's no perfect schedule. But to me, that's probably one of the best schedules out there, 24-72s, when you have four shifts. Yeah, that was was the best schedule. so that was just for the part-time guys. The full-time guys were still a 24-48, but they set uh, us up on the 72. So you would work with A, B, and C shift at both departments. So they got to know – you got to know all the officers. They got to know you. And then when it came time to hire full-time, the officers had a really big say in handpicking, hey, we really like this guy. We really like this guy. Okay. Okay. So now I'm on a 24-48, but I agree. 24-72 is, is the way to go. Oh, man, I'm telling you, it's awesome. That's awesome. I wish I wish we could adopt that, but they'd have to hire a whole nother platoon. But anyways, <laughs> um, uh, what would you say – the uh, and I, I, I like to tweak this question a little bit now. What do you say the culture is like within the four walls of your fire station where you're assigned? So it is – it is a work in progress. I'm going to say it that way. Um, when I started at the department, I was 20 years old. The average age of the department was in the high 40s, low 50s. So you had a lot of guys with a lot of experience, but they weren't necessarily those guys that are going to be going to conferences and classes and trainings and seeing the new stuff that's out there. You know, it was, it was very much so a, this is how we do it here. Um, and they did it well, but this is a different time in the fire service. And as you get these younger guys that don't have the experience like I did or like I didn't have when, when they had all the experience, you know, you have to go to these trainings and get the knowledge and the supplemental experience. Um, so there was not any support from administration or the line guys. They didn't support it, but they also didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so now we've been down the road a few years. That's actually something we can get into later about why black flag started. Um, it was a little bit 
under it was our way of flying under the radar to register for classes because we weren't allowed to go to them now we are being allowed to go to classes they're not able to pay for them all just because of the size of the department right um, but they are allowing guys to take gear and so we've created a department that is about expansive growth in mindset and in fitness and in training um you know i'm not going to say we're on the scale of some departments but we're progressing towards that with our new people and our new we're running recruit schools in-house now so we get the chance to really instill in our new people from the very beginning hey this is how we're going to search this is how we're going to fight fire this is how we're going to do this and this is why um and really give them the passion behind not just the ifsta powerpoint right right okay okay i mean well since you kind of opened the can of worms there uh, for those that don't know you are one of the founding members of Black Flag Fire Training. So how did that come about? So originally, um, like I said, we weren't able to go to trainings. We weren't able to take our department-issued gear or department-issued air packs to training. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, you know, there were several of us that really wanted to continue our training and go to some of these conferences that we had seen. And so we hopped on eBay, got some gear, got some air packs, and started going to classes. Um, unfortunately, a lot of conferences require you to put a department name and I didn't think anything about it. I just put my department name and then somehow or other that got back to my department. And that was, I, I almost got fired over that because they had not authorized the use of the department or the city. Um, and so we created black flag as an entity to sign up for training under, and so anybody in the department that wanted to go to a class could sign up and just put Black Flag Fire as the depart- the entity that they were going to train. Under. Um, and then we are surrounded by a lot of volunteer departments in the area. And as we got this knowledge and training, we were like, man, we really need to get this out. And so we started teaching in our area and it has kind of expanded from there. You know, we're going to, we aim at volunteer departments mainly guys that have one or two people on scene at a time because we want to find ways to take the stuff they're teaching at fdic or at the orlando fire conference or at bears of the oath and make that work for their staffing and their response model because their public deserves that same level of response that mine does no absolutely right and that's that's kind of yeah you sparked my interest there because I wouldn't think, okay, if I pay on my own dime, take my own time, just use the department gear and not, you know, and put their name down. You know, I I wouldn't put two and two together that that's going to get back to them somehow because I'd be like, how, when I'm the one there. So, and I'm not trying to like uh, (laughs) start anything for other people to go, hmm, but like, I mean, yeah, I I never thought I never thought of it that way, and I, I wonder yeah. I wonder so if you don't put a if you don't put an organization, will they reject the application? I'm not sure. A lot of them have that it's required that you put something. I never put just no affiliation or self pay or anything like that. I thought about it, uh-huh. um, but as we were kicking it around, one of the guys actually had a quote. It was like, "I'm not a rebel, but sometimes I'm a mutineer." Um, so you don't break rules just for the sake of breaking rules. I'm not going to rebel just because admin says, Hey, do this, but sometimes I'm going to go against it for what's right. Right. And so that's where the black flag fire name came from. And we all really liked it. And we just kind of decided, Hey, this is how it's going to, this is who we're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
and I, I get it because uh, it's one of those, it's one of those things where firemen want to better themselves and the best way to better yourself is, yeah, it's good to attend training within your department, but it's also really good to get outside training because you get different tactics or you look at things differently when somebody presents you with, this is how we do it. And then, you know, and that individual is not going to tell you to take it back to your department and make them go, this is how we need to do it. But you could take it back and, and just go, Hey, there's another way that we can do this and then show them. But what I'm trying to get at is I understand departments that are like, eh, I don't, I don't want to send my guys cause they can get hurt. Yeah. Anything can happen. I mean, hell, I could be at work tomorrow and something happened while I'm on the dime of my job. But I, I think it's kind of unfortunate if you have a department that will deny somebody to go out to train to get better. You know, I mean, like, I understand you don't want them to tear up the gear, but what says they go out in the bay and they're doing, you know, searches or something, and they can rip a hole in the in the turnout pants, you know, for, from the from the material. However, however, your bay floors can, you know, constructed with whatever design or whatnot. But, um, but no, I like that. I like how I like how that occurred. I mean, it it's something that happened. God, thank God you didn't get like you know fired for it. But it's just one of those things, you know. We we don't think about. It. We're just trying to go better ourselves. But it seems like we have to go through so much red tape just to get better at the mm -hmm. job. Cause you know, I want, I want anyone listening that works at like works in like an HR department, our job firemen cannot sit behind a desk pushing papers. Our job is life and death. There are risks that we're going to take. It needs to be educational risk. And the only way to get better at making the right choices is to go to these trainings, you know? So I hate whenever, you know, uh, 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 like whoever is in charge of safety looks at it as, well, we have to do this, this, that, and the other. I mean, you can only safety so much in this job. Mm -hmm. That's just how I look at it. But interesting story. I, I like I like how it came about. But how, so how the name, how'd you guys come up with the name like Black Flag? So it actually came based off of that quote. Um, we were talking about, you know, basically forming a little miniature mutiny we weren't going to try to get the chief out we weren't trying to start something with the union but it's like these rules that go against the mindset that we have right. of our citizens are first i'm willing to break those rules so how do i break those rules and not compromise the message that we're trying to get across um and so you know, white flag is very commonly and very popularly known as a flag of surrender uh -huh. And black flag was the polar opposite of that. It was, we're never going to stop. We're never going to quit. You can put whatever rules you want in place, but if it contradicts what's right, we're going to find a way around it. Like it. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, all right. Uh, so what keeps you personally invested to stay positive and loving this job? Because obviously you, you love the job with how you started your cadre. You're going out and you're training to local volunteer departments around your area for people to understand it's okay to love this job and it's okay to get better at the shop. So what keeps you going? So when I got into the fire service, um, I went through a two week Academy and it was not physically strenuous at all. Um, as I said before, I've been on the ambulance for about two years before that. And I mean, we all work with EMS 
God love them, but a lot of times they're eating gas station food or McDonald's or whatever they can get their hands on. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm six foot four. I'm a big dude, but I was 310 pounds. Um, I was not in shape. I had very little muscle mass, you know, no cardiovascular, but I made it through this academy, which I probably should never have made it through and got on the line. And a lot of the mentality that I heard was, you know, things like that don't happen here. This is small town USA. It won't happen here. Mm. And then about six months out of the academy, it happened. Um, 544 on a Sunday morning, we got knocked out for a structure fire. The department I'm at runs two man engine companies. So I was with a senior man. I was riding the seat and he was driving. Um, we go get on scene. There's heavy fire on the A side. We're the second do. And, you know, rookie me, I'm excited. I'm like, all I see is fire. And I get out of the truck and I'm met by the first two engineer. And he says, we have victims around back and we need help. And everything kind of froze because it's like, wait a minute, that, that doesn't happen here. I've been told for the last six months that doesn't happen here. And we ended up with four adults and two kids in about a thousand square foot, single story, single family dwelling. Um, All six of them passed away. And the first one that I put hands on, I was unable to move because I didn't have the techniques. I hadn't been training. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't fit enough. I wasn't used to being in my gear because I wasn't in it enough. And I left that scene and got in the truck and just kind of dropped my hands in my lap. And I had a big patch of skin stuck to my bunker pants. And so I got back to the station and I, I was like, man, I'm not sure if this job is really something that I'm supposed to do. And then I realized that I love what I was, you know, I love the concept, but I had never really committed to the profession. And so I started to lose weight. I lost 110 pounds, um, accomplished several different training goals that were really important to me along the way. But about three months after that fire, I bought a black memorial band and it's been on my wrist for that amount of time now. And it has six names on it. And so anytime I don't feel like going to work out, anytime I don't feel like reading or training or teaching or trying to improve myself, I've got six names that tell me what happens when I don't. And uh, I've got kids and a wife that tell me why I have to now. Damn it, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you don't know how many times I have said it's just a matter of time when that happens here. And it hasn't. So and I'm timestamping this. June 26th at 3.47, I'm talking to you. It has not happened in my area yet. And I keep trying to get individuals to understand that. And to them, it's just, it's just you're 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 just talking out your ass. That's it's how I see it. It's how mm-hmm. people are like, oh, what, what is this guy talking about? What is he talking about? Like, no, it's it's not. And yes, I'm so that that's that's powerful, man. That is very powerful. The fact that you're humble enough to to, to state that you weren't ready for this task just shows the the level of maturity that you have because we have a lot of individuals out in this field who think that they know it all, who think that they have it all figured out until they get that call where it's, okay, yeah, this, oh, 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 oh this is not what I read in the textbook or this is not what I was shown in recruit class. Yeah, getting out and in the field, it's a big difference. That is, that is powerful, man. That is awesome. I, I love that. 
I love the fact that too, you stated when you don't feel like doing something, all you have to do is look down at your wrist. And that right there is your why that's, that's powerful. That is powerful because too many individuals come in going, yep. All right. It's going to be the same old day. Throw my stuff on the truck. Oh yeah. I don't want to do this today. I'll just be on the couch or whatever the case may be. Get out and train, get out and do something to make yourself better because we're all going to have that day. That day is coming. And it, you know, it's, it was strange that in the history of my department, they'd only had one rescue prior to that call. And then we had that one. And in the seven years since we have had 12 victim encounters at five different fires in total where we had to remove victims from a structure. So it didn't happen. And then it started and then it just kind of waterfalled and continued to happen. Right. Um, and now pretty much everybody in the department has caught on to the fact that, Hey, what we didn't think happened here is, is now happening. And search is something that we teach really heavily because in our area uh, it's very behind in the search culture. The state does, the state has some great programs, but the only search related stuff that you get is that maybe a day or two in, in rookie school that you're getting from the ISTA or the Jones and Bartlett manual that's teaching you how to follow somebody and search for a boot. And I understand why they teach that, but we've got to elevate our standards past that because the data shows, firefighter rescue survey shows, UL, USFA shows, people are getting trapped and people are dying at a exponential rate. It's up 24.1%. So we have to get better and we have to look at what did we do in the past? What are we doing now? And why isn't it working? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, during your story that you mentioned, you, you said some things that hit some key points. You mentioned two men engine companies. That's yeah. And that's a, that's a reality within the fire service. Now, you know, three, most places I know three. I mean, if you, if you have more than three, if you can have four or more, that's, that's fantastic. But a lot of places are running three, but I don't, you don't rare, you rarely hear an individual state, just two. That's, that's something too. I think we need to improve on because, you know, we have all these rules, you know, NFPA, you know, they're always big on, uh, uh, I saw I saw a uh, a quote that man I either either it was a quote or an interview I listened to, and the uh, the guest stated how you know how uh, NFPA will go okay there's a line of duty death hey you know they're gonna do a uh, thorough examination of your gear and all this good stuff oh hey his helmet was out of date yep all right no benefits for that family but we don't have a standard that should say three or more on fire apparatus you know it's like they get to pick and choose little nitpicking things such as oh his helmet was out of date by a couple days or or a few months but we continue to allow communities and fire departments to roll out of these stations with you know like you said two guys sometimes we're just one that's all they can afford is one guy and volunteers he hopes shows up so that's one thing we also need, we need to improve on a hundred percent. And I like, yep. I, you know, I, I like how you stated there's so much data out there that we're not using so many avenues, so many people you could just call and go, Hey, I have a question about this. Can you further explain it to me where, you know, instead of, instead of getting this information, a lot of departments are just shrugging it off because that's just the way they do things. It's the way we've always done things. And uh, I, 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 I hate that, but I, I love your story. I definitely love your story on that. I appreciate it. And that's, you know, that's something that we've had discussions about within 
our own department. A lot of times people find that it's, you know, maybe a chief of department or a city council that is saying, hey, we don't need more people. You know, we're handling it with what we have. Well, you're handling it until you're not and something goes wrong and then people are getting hurt or people are dying. But they don't understand what we do as firefighters. They shouldn't. They're not firefighters. But a lot of them are business people, especially on city councils, and they're invested in their area. So they understand numbers. If you want to go before city council and talk about why you need more people, you know, pull some of the civilian fire fatalities, pull some of the firefighter fatalities, pull some of the NIOSH reports and things like that, that specifically state, you know, hey, this is what went wrong here. Um, when we're killing almost 3,000 civilians a year in residential structure fires in the United States, but fires are down, then that has to show them something. Exactly. So they might not understand exactly what it is we're talking about, but the fact that we're talking numbers is going to start to correlate with them. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. Um, I know this is kind of a uh, weird question for you, seeing how, how young you are, and I'm not taking that, I'm not saying that by, you know, to offend you or anything, but what are your ultimate, ultimate goals, long-term or short-term? So short-term, um, right now I am, doing everything I can to get into a couple of programs that I've been applying for, for a couple of years. And then one that I've attempted twice and failed, uh, Georgia smoke divers and Georgia flames. Not sure if you're familiar with those, but they're oh, yeah. top tier programs taught by some of the most humble people I've ever had the chance to meet and talk to and train under and learn from, um, guys that teach with other cadres outside of that program and mm -hmm. are, you know, teaching all around the nation and are the best at what they do. Um, that's short term. Long term, I would like to continue to see this area grow because I think there's a lot of potential here because there was a lot of young guys coming in and a lot of the leadership is changing over and a lot of young officers are being promoted to positions where they have influence within their department and they can now start to show, hey, this is what passion looks like. This is why it's important. This is why it matters. And we can instill that because I think you can talk about culture and culture is important, but without passion, your culture dies. Um, yeah. And so I want to help feed that passion in this area. And then also just continue to get to some of these volunteer departments. There's a department in just outside of Nashville. That's a volunteer department. We've taught at twice. We're actually going back for a third time at the end of July, completely volunteer and hands down one of the most professional organizations I've ever dealt with. Um, every time we go train they're they'll put in an eight or a 10 hour day, but it's the first time they've had a lot of that training because they can't afford to send guys down to the state fire Academy or to some of these other conferences. And so I just want to continue to find those people that are plugged in that want the knowledge, but don't have access. And I want to give them everything that I've got. And definitely by what you're doing I mean, I, I'm not trying to take away from anybody that 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 decides to you know to do podcasts, but I feel like what you're doing benefits greatly to departments because you're going out there and you are handing out knowledge and showing them the training of hey, this is how you can do things to make it easier on you for your department. What, however, it can work for your department. Um, regarding your staffing issues or your manpower issues or how many people you have on your roster. So I thank you because I'm not, I'm not a trainer or however you want to call it. So like if my fireman comes up to me, he's like, Hey, I don't, I, I you know how to do this. Like I'm comfortable teaching that to him, but 
as far as like training a big group of people, that's just kind of, you know, it's not really my wheelhouse. I, I could probably do it, but um, I always um, have a special place for instructors because regardless, like live burn instructors, I mean, they take a beating every who knows how many hours like last year when I went, I took a, a I, I took a um a truck company class. And before I left, I shook the hands of all the instructors because I'm like, that is you're putting your body through some shit going in and out. Yeah, you're getting your breaks, but you're coming out, man. You're taking in that heat, cooling down just to do it again. Coming out, somebody switching out with you. So like I applaud anyone listening to, I applaud anybody that is an instructor, regardless of it doesn't have to be live burn, but anybody that's out there that's teaching individuals going to different areas to trying to spread the good word. I mean, thank you for that because without individuals like you and those people out there, man, you know, who, who knows where I feel like the fire service is getting better because so many, so many different cadre groups are coming out now. Now, granted you do have to vet individuals because sadly in our profession there are some who go oh you know i can come up with the name and make a quick buck or we well, you know what i mean like i'm not trying to take it there all there are always rotten apples in every industry you know out in the world but for the ones that are doing it for the right things man thank you appreciate it man, i i appreciate it i usually say this at the beginning of a lot of our classes especially our lectures I, i've got a slide in every powerpoint we've got that has it but None of the stuff that I teach is stuff that is proprietary to our company or to our cadre or to me. It was stuff that I was taught by guys that are way smarter than I am. Right. Um, we had I had the blessing to be mentored by guys like Shane Bentley from Bears of the Oath and Devin Craig from Trainer Die, Sean Duffy from Build Your Culture, Chris Ketzinger in the Citizens First cadre. I was a student in all of their classes, and that's something I believe firmly. If you're an instructor, you're a student first. Because if you're not staying on top of what's relevant to the fire service, then you're teaching outdated stuff and it's no better than if Stuart Jones and Bartlett. But these are the guys that are coming up with and pushing a lot of these things. And I'm just getting the chance to turn around and say, hey, I've been shown a better way. Um, but I just had to add that caveat. Like nothing about what I'm doing is it was made by me, invented by me. I'm not the smartest guy in the room and I never right. want to be. I think if you're the smartest guy in the room, you need to find a new room because there's some geniuses out there in the fire service doing great things. No, absolutely right. Absolutely right. And as an instructor, you should never put you should never um, figure yourself out as the smartest person or because, you know, you might meet that person, that student that's in whatever class you're teaching and they might know something that you don't know. So, yeah, if you if I like that mentality of you're always a student, you know, because I. I can't remember the interview I listened to, but uh, one of the instructors was like, uh, one thing that he hates is he hates seeing whenever an instructor is teaching to whether it's your crew or a group of people, you should be in what they're in. If they're in gear, you need to be in gear. You don't need to be out just wearing your regular clothes while they're out there in gear sweating. I mean, it resounded with me because it's like, he's right. Like you need to be in there thick and thin in the trenches if it's hot and they're sweating, you need to be hot and sweating. So I, I, I love how you stated that, man. I definitely do. Like I said, humility. A lot of people can can learn from just being humble. It can go a long way. And that's that's the thing about this job is you're either, you're either humble or you're going to get humbled. Because the reality is our job is so physically demanding. And a lot of the guys that I've seen 
you know, that I, those that I mentioned that are mentors to us that have taught us, they believe that exact same way and have instilled that in us. You know, if my students are in an air pack, I'm in an air pack, not because I have to be, but because you want to create buy-in with people. You know, you want to have a mutual respect for each other that says, you know, I understand this sucks, but let's go. Right. And you show them and you demonstrate, you do it yourself. And by the end of it, they're going, well, he did it so I can do it. And also every time I teach it now, I get to do a rep myself, which means I get better at it for when I turn around and I go back on ship with my guys. Absolutely. Love it, man. Love it. Um, in your opinion, what key elements or factors do you think are needed to make a good firefighter regardless of rank? I think the only thing is passion. Um, I'm a big believer that the words we say matter and the meaning behind them matters. And we need to understand it when we say it, you know, there's a big difference between fully involved and heavy fire. Oh and yes. If you say the wrong one, you completely change the mindset of everybody on scene or on the way to the scene. Facts. And so, you know, I'm a big reader. I love to research and I love to read. That's why I like the data. Um, but I heard passion used a lot in different lectures, different talks and studies. And so I was like, what, you know, if, if we want to say that passion is the important thing, well, what is passion? And so I looked into that and the root of it is the word patty, which meant to suffer. And suffering is discomfort and it's unpleasant. So if you want to say you're passionate about something, then you're willing to be uncomfortable and you're willing to suffer for it. And suffering is different for everybody. If you love to work out, then putting your gear on and doing a hard workout might not be suffering for you. But sitting down and reading the newest UL study or the newest data that came out or reading the NIOSH report, that might be horrible for you. Right. But it's going to get you that better knowledge. So to me, the, the willingness, it's easy to do things we like to do. But the willingness to suffer and do things that are not fun and not enjoyable and that suck, that's all you have to have. Because I'm going to do the things I enjoy and my passion is going to force me to do the things that I don't. No, well said for sure, for sure. I, I love the the analogy of uh, fully involved or heavily involved because yes, that that word gets yeah, very different. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Or when you're going to a work construction fire and you hear uh, whoever's in charge first and on scene or command advice, uh, everyone's out. Uh, I, I was told everyone's out, and it's mm -hmm. like yeah, okay. There's there's words you should probably not say because how how you say it sets the tone for everything else. You know what I mean? Like you always hear if you pull up on scene and it's burning, before you key that radio up, calm down, take a deep breath, be you know be calm, cool, collective, and precise with your size up. If you get on there and you're just you're screaming, you're yelling, you're gonna get everybody jacked up, and it just sets the tone for either success or Ugh, you know, not so great uh, yeah. of an outcome. But uh, no, hands down, man, definitely for sure. Um, well, so what would you say to a eager, hungry, motivated firefighter who feels like they're surrounded by a you know either a non-complacent culture or non-motivated group of individuals? I mean, the first thing I would say is I've been there, and the second thing is don't let it be an excuse because that's what I did. That's when I started, man, they're, they're sitting in the recliners. That's what's normal. So that's what I went and did. Right. Um, on top of that, understand the reality of what you signed up to do. Your first few years in the fire service, 
especially with what is available, not only at conferences and at classes, but on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, the amount of knowledge that's out there is so much that you can't even begin to scratch the surface of it in two years. Uh, so constantly be learning and be trying to learn new things outside of your department. And when you see something, just because it's from FDNY or it's from Chicago, look at, will that work here? Will that work with the equipment we've got? And try it. Try new things. Be willing to fail. Be willing to look stupid. Um, you know, some of the best, best methods I've taught until you get good at it, it doesn't look very good. It looks ugly. And rescue a lot of times, especially in search, is ugly. Mm-hmm. Be willing to fail and just keep continuing to try and seek knowledge and enjoy it. Enjoy the process of it. Um, it's really easy when you're passionate about this job for that to be both a blessing and a curse because it's a blessing. We love what we do. We always want to go do it more, but it's a curse in ways because we also never feel like we know enough. We never feel like we're fit enough, like we're fast enough, like we're strong enough. Don't get bogged down in that. Just enjoy the fact that you get to do this. The knowledge is there. Go find it, go enjoy it, go do it. No, hundred percent. You're accurate on that because it, it, you know, it, it makes me think, um, so I, I, I try to work out at least four to five days a week. And whenever I incorporate, all right, I'm going to put some gear on and do this workout, man. It's so humbling where you don't think the, the, the constrictiveness of your gear, how it affects your mobility. Cause I'll get done doing something like I did the, um, the, the Jamichael Muller, workout when it came out at the end of it i was like i felt like i never worked out like it is it puts a different strain on your body and at the end of it like i literally felt like i was out of shape and i'm like i know that's not the case but it's amazing what an air pack and gear will do to well yeah what it'll do to an individual when you're working out like you can't move like you would normally move if you're wearing your regular uh, workout attire. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's the great equalizer. I, oh, absolutely. And you know, I don't work out in my gear every day. I, I pick, I pick and choose, but I try to do it at least once a week where I do something in my gear or some sort of training in my gear to, to go, okay. Like if I have to throw this ladder, since I got this air pack, that's kind of cinched down a little bit tight, you know, I gotta, I gotta do it this way or whatnot. But, um, what, what do you like to teach? Um, what's your niche? So I'm passionate about search. Um, just given everything that happened with that six fatality fire, I completely dove into everything about search that I had available. And that was where I got to meet uh, Sean Duffy at a couple of classes and Chris Kessinger. And they opened my eyes to the amount of knowledge that's out there. And in my department, we had never had a search class taught in my entire career. And for the past six years, I've been fighting for that. You know, hey, we need to have a search class. We need to teach a search class. And this past January, they finally let me teach one. And it was amazing to see guys that I've worked with for years now, guys that have seniority on me, and you just you show them the numbers. You don't even have to say anything. Um, you show them the facts and the data, and it opens their eyes in a way that they're like, oh, man, I had no idea. So... I love to teach search, both the hands-on and the the lecture portion, just because that's why we're here. 
And I feel like a lot of times it's easy to lose that because it doesn't seem like we're making grabs every single day or like every department is Detroit or FDNY where you're fighting fire all the time. But the why is still relevant. The why is still the only thing that matters. And when I get to teach about that, I get to show guys and you see the light come on. There's nothing better than that for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, whether you want to chalk it up to training scars or just the way, you know, you were taught, you look at back in the day, how you were taught to search. I remember when I first started, it was, I had a partner and my hand was on his ankle or her ankle. And we went around the room doing left hand or right hand searches. Uh, and then that, it kind of progressed to where, all right, no, you don't do that anymore. You still do your right hand, your left hand searches, but you're always, kind of talking and you have to talk loud. But when you're talking loud going, all right, I'm going down the room, making left. You might not hear that faint cry of an individual, you know, or you're stating, all right, turn left, turn left, touching a, a, a piece of furniture. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's funny how we're not funny, but it's, it's crazy to see how our search tactics have progressed from when, at least when I started to, to what it is now. And it, now it makes a whole, you know, a whole bunch of sense. You don't need to yell. You do your searches methodically. You kind of stay low, um, stay to the ground. The, the you know conditions dependent. But one of the big things was I remember I always used to have a tool in my hand, and I would use the tool as a guide until I was told, "Hey, what happens if when you're when you're going side to side with it, you hit a victim in the head with a pick head or a flathead axe?" You know what I mean? Or the spike on, on a Halligan. Like it's, 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 you know what I mean? So it's just, it's, it's yeah. a game changer of how the information that we can get out, that we can receive, how it could benefit us greatly in the end. It is. And that's something that when I got, I got the opportunity to teach search to my department's last rookie class for our first in-house academy. And so I sit down with the manual that you have to teach out of and the required material and just looking through it, you know, they're still teaching the right-hand, left-hand search. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with choosing right-hand or left-hand if that's what your department chooses to do. Right. But what wasn't in there was a why. And that was something that I never got taught. You know, they told us, hey, you're going left. Or, hey, go left or right. And you just choose, right? And you're searching a burn building, which doesn't necessarily have a layout like a residential structure is going to have. But they never taught us why you would choose left or right. And so just to be able to tell you know when you're teaching search if you're if you have to teach the manual which hurts me to have to do because it says some things in there that i just don't believe are true mm -hmm. but you have that ability to even improve that training by just saying hey so we're going to talk about left hand or right hand search why do you think we go left or right and then talk to them that gives you the chance to interject some of that data hey over half our victims are found in the bedroom or the hallway so as i'm walking up can i figure out where the bedrooms are at you know start talking to them in my opinion, search should be the most thinking assignment on the fire ground. You know, I love the guys on the engine and the guys on the nozzle. They're awesome. And we need them there. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is I'll, all the rookies know coming out, find the fire, put water on it. But are you able to, when your adrenaline is up and everything like that, are you able to critically think about searching how are you searching where are you searching what are you finding does it match what you should be finding or doesn't it and if it doesn't what does it tell you mm -hmm. you know and the, the ability to put all those pieces together to create an effective search 
And I'm not at all dissing on my engine guys because I know Manny. Manny is one of the best engine dudes oh, out there. Oh, God, yeah. Love him to death. And I could never be on the level. But like when I like to teach, I love to teach and see guys' eyes light up about the why behind the searches they're doing. Yeah. Because they've been taught for some of them for 25 years. Go right, go left. Yeah. And they yeah. no one has ever taken the time to go, hey, here's why you're gonna go right or left. Right. Right. And and I think I think I think that's changing now. I think a lot of mm-hmm. especially with this new generation, which is a good thing, they're asking a lot of questions. And not even if you take if you take out having the you know, the new generation, a lot of these in, instructors who I listen to and look up to are telling us why why we should not be doing this anymore, why we should be doing it this way with the data and the stats to back it up. But I mean, it, yeah, I, I like you said, if you want to call it training scars, it's just the way, it's just the way you were taught, you know? So I, I take, I take it back last year. I also, um, with my truck company class, they did a, a couple things where you had to force, force entry to get in to this, uh, to the residence to, to do, you know, your, your, um, task that they told you. And I remember getting up to the door, getting onto my knees and masking up. And then I had the instructor came, he put his hand on my shoulder. He's like, Hey, I was like, yeah. He's like, why are you getting low? I was like, it's cause what I, it's always, you know, it's what I was always taught. And he's like, you don't need to do that. He's like, if you're going to get masked up, just stand up, you know, take your helmet off, do this and that. But it's just, it's the scarring. And it's mm-hmm. having to reform my, my re, I don't know what the word I'm trying to use, but like, I have to now come up with, okay, I don't need to, as soon as I get up to the door, get on one knee to put all this on. I can do it standing up. It's training scars. I don't you really have to program your thought process. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely do. And, um, I say that because, you know, so many individuals out there and I'm sure like everyone out here listening probably has some sort of what I call training scar that you still do that you were taught and it's not really taught anymore because it's, it's the wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, no, go ahead. And there's a lot of that, that I think we need to continue to improve on. You know, they need to find these guys that are at the, the top of whatever category and they need to get them involved with writing these essentials books for these rookie schools that are being used across the country. Uh, I know, in the manual that we used, it says VES is an unacceptably dangerous tactic that should not be used, period. And that's on the test. Right. Um, so when you're putting that in, mm-hmm. but then I can pull data from USFA and say, hey, we haven't killed a fireman doing VES. So tell me why it's unacceptably dangerous. You know, we need to put people that are know this information and have studied this information and have found it and have them get involved. So we're not creating people with more training scars. Yeah. Um, I know one of the big ones that we see is we drag dummies a lot. Mm-hmm. We don't drag real people and dummies and real people don't feel the same. And you're willing to put your hand on a dummy's face and drag them like that. Cause we see it in classes or babies uh, insight. Fire training has a really good video. We have one from one of our classes as well where somebody finds a baby doll and then reverts back to crawling on all fours and is putting all of their weight on the baby that is in one hand. It's like, it's great to say, well, this is training. You know, we're good. We're good. But what do you think you're going to do when it's 2 a.m. and you're smoking? You're going to do that. 
And that's scary because you've never been taught, hey, how should you carry a baby? The only dummy you've ever dragged is a 300-pound rescue Randy dummy in bunker gear. And then on top of that, when you find a victim that is naked or maybe has just got minimal clothing on, they don't have bunker gear, and you go to grab and your hands go flying off, what's your plan now? Because that's exactly what happened to me. All, all I had ever drugged was rescue Randy dummies or guys with bunker gear on. And so I grabbed the victim and I pulled and I landed on my backside because everything came off mm-hmm. because they were third spacing, skin starts sloughing. And we don't prepare people for that. And there are ways to train people that way, but we have to start doing that early on. And you obviously don't start there. We crawl, we walk, and then we run. Absolutely. But by the end of an academy class or by the end of a, a 16 hour or a 24 hour search class, they should understand what it feels like to drag somebody whose skin is starting to come off. Um, I think Captain Rob Ramirez from Mayday Mindset said it best when he said, dragging a victim through a structure is like trying to drag a 250-pound rotisserie chicken. Because that's exactly what it's like. They're slippery, they're slimy, their skin's coming off, and it's horrible. Uh And if you're not prepared for that, number one, it's going to throw off your rescue plan. But number two, it's also going to mess with your mindset because you're going to freeze because everything you've always done just didn't work. Yep. And now your brain is trying to pull files from everywhere and go, what do we do now? Yeah. No, you're right. hundred percent. I mean, I remember, like I said, pulling rescue Randy's uh, you see it, you see it. Cause you do it in training. You don't think, you don't think when it happens to you that you're going to revert back to it, but, but it's true. Cause you know, you, uh, I know, I know when I was taught certain skills, it was all right. You, you found your victim. All right. Instead of finding the, closest means of egress let's drag them back through how we came in through all that bad shit that they have to breathe the heat and whatnot that was a training scar now i know all right hey i found a victim look around see where you're at if there's a window hey we're going out this window now conditions dependent of course you know but of course that 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 was a training scar um Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times I'm sure you can attest this. How many times you've seen you all right, the firefighter finds a, a rescue Randy or whatnot. As soon as they get outside, they just toss them to the ground, walk away. And it's like, Hey, if this person is, or if this person has breathed in so much soot that they're not breathing, who's doing CPR. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, man. I mean, you, you hit it on the head hundred percent. And if, especially if you're a medic in the Georgia area, uh, I highly recommend Elite Fire Training has a class called You Made the Grab, Now What? And you will go make grabs and you'll bring victims out, live victims, and then they will have IV arms and airway dummies and things like that. You'll immediately have to transition into providing ALS care in your bunker gear. You know, you decide to take your mask off or whatever. Uh, they offer it at Massey every year. I think they've offered it a couple other places. But you want to talk about seeing a mindset shift. I, I love fire more than EMS, but if I bring that victim out, they're my victim. Um, but no, 100%. I think one of the other big training scars that we're trying to address currently is we have a pre-hiring physical agility test. And part of that is a dummy drag. Well, how do we have them drag the dummy from day one? They pick it up underneath the arms and they walk backwards. Well, where's that victim's airway at? And why would I lift them that way? Because I'm not lifting a down fireman that way because their air pack's going to be there. So I'm not getting them underneath the arms. So, you know, UL, when they they put out their thousand page search study, um, which if you're not a numbers nerd, you don't want to read a thousand pages. Part three has a really good little tactical considerations, consolidated reader's digest version. It's awesome. 
but they showed that lower was more important than the speed. They said that one foot of elevation versus three feet of elevation was better for the victim, even if the lower removal method took three times as long. So just saying, hey, you got to get them up and go doesn't work anymore. Not only do I need to take them out the right place, but I need to take them out the right way. I didn't think about that, but now you're right. Because it all comes back to when I had, uh, we had a fire and me and my captain were getting ready to make the push in. And as the smoke, you know, the the, the way the air, the, the way the airflow was going, the smoke lifts her up. And I was like, oh. I was looking at a human face. I'm like, oh, this isn't a dummy. This is an actual person. I looked at my cat. I'm like, hey, we got a body. And he was like, oh, okay, let's drag him out. And yeah, it took three of us. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing what dead weight feels like. And you, know, you, you can attest to that. And it all goes back to the training scars of, you know, because I know I, I was small when I first started, man, I was, I was super tiny, man. I, I couldn't tell you how much I weighed, but like somebody had to show me a technique to pick up the dummy to pass my test. They're like, you have to kind of do it this way to get a good grip and then you can go. But it's totally different when it's a lifeless human being. It is. It is. And having that game plan, you know, we talk about in our class, there's a lot of different ways to drag victims. There's a thousand ways that are shown in ISTA handbook, and most of them are terrible, but there's, you know, there's a few that are good. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep trash talking ISTA, no, but it really no. needs an update in the search Yeah, it section. does. You're, and, and, you, um, the, and here's the thing. You're not the only one that's, and that's the thing. You're not the only one that's stating that. A message is yeah. being sent. Like, we need to change the way we're writing things in books for the next generation yeah. of firefighters. So go ahead. But we talk about the right drag. So what is the right drag? Well, the right drag is the one that works for the way the victim presents to you. It keeps the victim's airway low. It uses your big muscles, and it's one that you can perform. So part of that key factor is can you do it? If you can't do it, then it's not the right drag. You know, I might have the best, fastest way to drag somebody out, but my partner, you know, Josh, who teaches with me all the time, we're, we work well together because I'm six foot four and he's not. And so what works for me doesn't work for him. And he's right. had to find ways. So when we get guys in classes that are like, hey, man, my arms aren't long enough to do that. He's able to jump in and say, hey, here's what I do that makes it work for me. Um, and there's no one end all be all best way to do pretty much anything in this job because mm-hmm. you have so many guys with so many different body types and experience and all that kind of thing. Um and, you know, there's better ways to do it than others. But if you can't perform it, then what I've taught you doesn't help. I have to figure out how to make it work for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, in your opinion, what do you think the American Fire Service can improve on? Our training. I mean, like we've talked about quite a bit, trying to make it realistic. Um, a lot of the search training that I've gotten the opportunity to do in the past has been in an open bay floor that I was very familiar with. So it's smooth concrete dragging dummies in an area that I'm very comfortable in. But I have, I have little kids. When I walk into their room, I can see I'm not in bunker gear. I'm not fatigued. There's no heat stress. And it's still hard to walk through there mm-hmm. because of all the stuff that's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And especially my little girls, man, they have houses and castles and horses everywhere. Right. 
Right. So why am I preparing in flat, smooth, open floor to go search a cluttered room for a little girl or for more than one little girl? Um, and it's a lot of times it's related to budget, but I feel like we have to stop using that excuse as firemen and we have to be willing to invest a little time and a little effort, if not a little money into our craft. I think most of us have thrift shops in our area. Uh, I know we have Carm and we have Goodwill. And a lot of times they get donations that they're not able to take because they're too damaged, they're too old, they're too messed up. And so you go to them and you say, hey, what day do you get rid of your refused donations? And they'll tell you. And, and for us, it's Fridays in our town. And so we go by on Thursdays if we have a search class coming up and say, hey, can we have all of your blankets and all of your clothes that you've gotten this week that you can't sell? Because they're throwing them away anyway. Right. And then we, we put them in bags and we'll go in a burn building and we will dump clothing everywhere. Uh, you want to change the game in a search, go have your buddy put on shorts and a t-shirt and then duct tape some used carpet to the floor. And we've managed to get used carpet from home remodelers or construction developers. Houses are going up everywhere in our area and a lot of the areas around us. And so you go say, Hey, you guys got some scrap carpet. You don't need a lot, just a 10 foot section, you know, three foot, four foot wide and just practice your victim drags on a piece of carpet and see what that feels like. Um, Habitat for Humanity is another great one. Or go get some pallets from an industrial area and build bed props, couches, cribs, and learn what it feels like to search. And that's just search training alone. That's not even addressing everything else that we do that we can improve upon. Absolutely right. Man, while you were talking about, I had an idea too regarding your, if your department is fortunate to have a, um, uh, a training center because you know the the connex boxes are being used a lot mm-hmm. i don't know how many times it's like hey i want to get rid of this piece of furniture and why not just go hey training chief training cap i got this piece of furniture i'm gonna bring it to you we can use it as a prop so we can turn our burn building instead of a commercial because a lot of burn buildings you know they you kind of use it as a commercial thing but hey let's let's make this area a kitchen where we put tables and some chairs and some stuff that we have to move around. Cause that is another training scar of we're going to train out in this open bay floor. That's nice and smooth. We're going to do victim drags and all this other good jazz, but that's not how it is when we get into the real world. Like let's think about this for a minute, folks. We respond to a residential structure fire. We're going to, we're going inside of a structure that we've never been into. We don't know the layout. It's going to be, most of the time, it's going to have carpet, furniture everywhere. If there's kids, there's going to be toys everywhere, little, uh, multiple beds. Like, let's start setting up our training facilities like these houses that we go to. We can use our experience on going to these structure fires or hell. How about this? When we go on these medical calls, look at how some of these homes are set up. So we can go back and go, hey, we're going to set it up like this. That way we're building success for the future. So I I like what you guys do. It gives me something to go back to. My training captain actually listens to my podcast, thankfully, and I appreciate him for that. So maybe that's something that you when you stay stated, he can go, hey, we have a couple of those stores in our area, Goodwill and stuff like that. I'm going to go over there and see what they got so we can do some things, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And even if your department doesn't have a burn building, um, I think Cody from Brothers in Battle was the first person I ever saw do this, but he took like those orange parking barriers 
and made four walls and then made a little bit of a gap for a door and put pallets inside and made beds and furniture in just a parking lot. So if you've got an extra section of your bay that maybe is not being used or you've got an area that you can kind of cordon off of your parking lot for a couple of days and you just get those from your public works department and then you get some pallets, most industries or Walmart, Home Depot, they're happy to donate pallets to you, sometimes lumber, especially their rejected lumber. And we don't need the good stuff because I'm not trying to make something beautiful. Right. And you set up a little, a little, just 200 square foot house for a few days and have your guys go search that and move the furniture around in the different rooms. Um, we have to get to a point where we're more willing to make excuses to win than we are to make excuses to quit. Yeah. No. Awesome, man. I swear. I swear. I love seeing the fact that, um, your your time on the job, man. You are wise beyond. You, you, I, I don't know if you've ever heard that saying. I think I'm saying it right. You're wise beyond your years, man. It's it's it is refreshing because I have to unfortunately consider myself an old timer now because we have so we have so much young. I mean, people that weren't even born. I was born in '85, and people that are born in the '90s, or they were like, "Oh, I don't know what this is." But it's refreshing to hear the mindset of a lot of individuals like you, man, coming into this fire service that 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 are gonna you're gonna leave it in, or we're leaving it in good hands for sure, hundred percent. See the the awesome thing is like you you've obviously sought out a lot of knowledge and training, and you're passionate about the job, right? So you pass that down to me who is the guy next in line, what took you 15 years to learn, you can probably teach me in a year or two. Exactly. And guess what? Then I spend the next 13 years learning entirely new things and I pass it down to the next guy. And by then he's got 35 years worth of knowledge in a year or two. Mm-hmm. And he gets to spend the rest of his career continuing to build. And we just continue to create better and better and better firemen. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I love about getting to work with new people is they don't have training scars. They are fresh. They are, you know, a blank canvas for you to get in there and be like, hey, let's do this the right way from the beginning. But they're also a lot of times really passionate. Um, And I think we as a fire service do a really bad job of eating our own. I'm 100% for joking with the new guy and having some fun and razzing him. But the reality is if you're a senior man, he he is yours to make or break, Mm -hmm. period. And when you come into the fire service, you know nothing. And I just had this conversation. I actually made a post about it on our Instagram page because it, it got me a little hot. Um, had a conversation with a young dude who's been on the job less than two years. And he heard a senior man smack talking him because when he got when he started at the department, he didn't know how to start a chainsaw. And it's like, man, if you don't know how to start a chainsaw, that's great because now I can teach you how I want you to start it. When right. you're getting ready to go up on the roof. You don't right. have bad habits. Right. So it, you know, don't smack talk these guys. Use that as an opportunity because you don't have to untrain them. They're mm-hmm. not going to do things like start the saw in between their legs because you're going to teach them how to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. But on the same hand, about that year one or two time frame, if they've developed training scars, that's your fault because you were the senior man. You made them. Yep. So their bad habits are your bad habits. So yep. it forces you to stay on top of your game, but also lets you help kind of mold them. No, absolutely right. And I- I'm not a big prankster. Uh, I never really have been, but I also look at it as if you have time to raz or rag on the individual or pull pranks on them, you got time to take them out in the bay and show them something, you know? Yep. I mean, it's all fun yep. and games. I mean, I've heard some crazy stories that are like hilarious. I wouldn't be laughing if it happened to me, but 
um, it's one of those things where, you know, yeah, if you got time to do that, go out there or, you know, if they go, man, this guy doesn't know anything or this girl can't do this or that and the other. Have you taken the time to show them that, that, you know, that they can. No. So, um, but before we, uh, uh, leave out, um, I'd like for you to promote your, your, your training project for others to hear how they can get in touch with you. Cause this is, this is what this is about. Iron sharpens iron, man, you're doing great things. And so, if, if, if anybody's listening is close to your area, how do they get a hold of you? So we are on Facebook and Instagram at Black Flag Fire. Um, we are currently working on getting a website developed. Unfortunately, I'm technologically illiterate, so that's taking <laughs> a little bit of time. But our email is incredibly simple, blackflagfiretraining at gmail.com. Uh, my phone number is on the Facebook and the Instagram. You can shoot us a DM on either of those pages. Uh, I will say this, you know, a lot of times, departments especially smaller ones maybe even small combination or paid departments can't afford training uh we understand that and we are not here to get rich i didn't get in the fire service to become a millionaire and i didn't become a training guy to become a millionaire if your department if you feel like they'd benefit we offer mainly truck based training we don't have any engine stuff right now uh writ search ventilation forcible entry call us if we give you a price and you're like hey i can't do that that's fine we're gonna come anyway uh we have stayed on bay floors and we have eaten ham and cheese sandwiches because our goal isn't to make money you know when we when we do charge for classes that's to help cover our expenses and keep our wives from murdering us for going and doing stuff all the time <laughs> but my my wife knows 100 if it wasn't for her and my kids i would be gone every day that i'm off somewhere in the united states doing something with my friends um, so don't like, we're not going to turn you away. If your department needs search training, we're going to find a way to get it to you. Um, and we're willing to work with anybody. You know, our motto is have gear, will travel. So even if you're not in East Tennessee, you know, we're, we're hoping to schedule a class down in Alabama here soon, uh, Kentucky, North Carolina, South Carolina. We will try to recommend cadres in your area, but if you're dead set on having us come out, we're happy to come out wherever you are. Um, the great thing is right now there's a lot of amazing amazing training cadres out there that are doing some great stuff, but please no hit us up. Or if you just want to ask, Hey, you know, I'm in X, Y, Z state who teaches the best, this in my area. We'll try to give you a recommendation. If we can. Awesome. All right. You heard the man. He told you how to get in contact with him. So um, before we, uh, before we leave, I, I will say, I'm pretty sure I'm going to see you in like three weeks. Oh, you coming to the Mueller conference? I am. Fantastic, man. Good. What are you taking? Uh, Rid or die. Oh, you're going to have a good time. That is an amazing class. One of the first classes I took from Bears of the Oath. Okay. Um, Awesome. Awesome cadre. A lot of those guys are from the Georgia Flames program, which we can talk a little bit about off air if you want. I'm not going to – I don't hold the status to talk about that class. Yeah, Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. So I don't want to offend anybody, but amazing, amazing cadre. Very, very knowledgeable and good. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, I'll see you there. I will definitely have to take a picture. Maybe just chit chat, chit chat, talk Absolutely, a little bit. Yeah. But it's for a great cause, and um, yeah, man, uh, I look forward to seeing you. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. No, this, this has been great, man. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Me too. Thank you. All right. If any of the listeners out there are or know of 
a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.